Okay, so uh, as we start looking at this week's passage, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, looking at uh, not so much at Palm Sunday as at Gethsemane, although we will start with Palm Sunday. And as you, so if you want to turn there to Matthew 26, as you do that, I'd like to tell you about several years ago, we had a couple start attending this church about two weeks. As I remembered, it was two weeks. It may be, you know, a little bit more, but about two weeks before their 50th anniversary. And, and uh, so they had moved to town, and, and nobody really knew them, but somebody heard that their 50th anniversary was just about two weeks away, and so they said, we need to do something to recognize that. We can't let that go unnoticed. Pretty sure that was you, Wanda, that set that up. But, uh, and so we did. We threw a 50th anniversary party for these people that nobody knew. <laughs> and it, and it, was a, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was uh, an enjoyable fact. It was a, you know, we, we had a cake. We celebrated their anniversary. They got to be the guests of honor. They got to meet a lot of people. But it was this unusual situation where there was a party in honor of, of somebody that nobody knew, but everybody at the party knew each other. Right? Everybody at the party knew each other, but nobody actually knew the couple that we were honoring. Makes me think of Palm Sunday. Right? Makes me think of Palm Sunday. Jesus riding in, huge party going on around him. He's the focus of the whole thing. Nobody really understood who he was or what he was doing. Even his closest followers have a hard time, had a hard time grasping what's going on. Okay, a big event in Jesus' honor. It soon became evident nobody really knew him. You know, we all, have the, we all know the feeling of being alone in a crowd, right? Is it not, though some of you have come here fairly recently, is it not hard to walk into a church where you feel like you don't know anybody and everybody else knows each other? Being, you're alone in a crowd, it's, an, it, it, it's a tough feeling. The only way to get through it, by the way, is to do it. You, 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 you get through it, to, or do it till you're, until it's gone, and you feel at home, home and it's, it's the way you do it. Uh, it's how you get past being alone in a crowd. So we all know that feeling. Uh, Jesus probably felt that feeling more often and more thoroughly than any of us ever did, and Palm Sunday is a good example of that. So today we're going to see that God created us, of all things, for fellowship. He created us for fellowship with him. We're going to see Jesus alone in the garden without any fellowship. And we're going to consider what it means that he alone can save us. So created for fellowship. It's it's one of the age-old questions that people try to figure out. At some point, we stumble across it. We go, wait a minute. Why did God make us in the first place? Why did he do such a thing knowing what it was going to cost him? He knew in advance what was going on. Everything was well planned. And so the spoiler alert is we're starting with the answer. God made us to have fellowship with him. He made us to have fellowship with him. Uh, uh, the, the clearest teaching on this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. So now that I told you to turn to Matthew 26, <laughs> sorry, I'm a bad guy. 1 John chapter 1 is a passage that's... 1 John is best known for 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But leading up to that, the whole, not the whole, a large part of 1 John chapter 1 is about fellowship with God. Let me read verses 3 through 10 of 1 John chapter 1. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. 
This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Okay, and I'll, I'll go ahead and stop there, there for this. Uh, our joy, he says in verse 4, verse 4 says it so clearly, uh, verse 3 and 4, that we too may have fel- you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We, these, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And so John is writing this. He says, we will have more joy when you join us in fellowship with God and with each other. We have joy in our fellowship with God now. We will have more joy. Our joy will be made complete when you are brought into fellowship with us and with God. And he's talking about the joy of fellowship, right? And and I will confess something to you, and I know I'm not the only one who could ever make this confession. Uh, Some of you here will will say, yeah, I kind of like that too. Sometimes I feel I could happily be a hermit for Jesus, right? I could be one of those guys who goes off and lives in a cave somewhere in the desert and, and, and uh, just, just could be happy. I, I think sometimes I, I think that because I have not experienced it. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't gone through that. I, I, I have never had to deal with loneliness, and maybe if I did, I would not feel that way. But he didn't create us to be hermits. He didn't call us to be hermits. And by the way, everyone who ever, I believe completely, everyone who ever li- went off and lived in a cave for a prolonged amount of time and thought they were serving God by doing that was wrong. <laughs> I, God, God created us to be a body, the body with parts that bless and may minister to each other. He created us in, in a way that we need fellowship, both to receive and to contribute. That's how God made us and designed us to be. He didn't call us to be hermits. He created us as a body. He uses that illustration repeatedly, uh, a body that works together and benefits each other. The the phrase one another is repeated in the New Testament repeatedly, Uh, and it's a description of the church, people blessing one another. And he created us to have fellowship with each other, uh, and and it works best, the body works best when all parts work together to contribute their part to it. I'm not talking about a church like this, although this is certainly an example of that. But I'm talking about the church worldwide. The, the whole church works best when every part does what it can. We can't all be Leif and Jamie in Kyrgyzstan or uh, Siberia or Macedonia or Turkey, you know, wherever God puts them at the time. That's a unique individual. Those are unique individuals called to a unique ministry. Most of us are called to be more boring parts of the body, but, but they need us doing our part so they can do their part. The body needs to work together. So First John teaches that we are made to fellowship with God and with each other, and I think that's the clearest teaching we have on, on the need for fellowship, that he made us for fellowship. But I think the more powerful teaching is found in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. And this is not immediately obvious as you look at Revelation 4 and 5, but when you read Revelation 4 and you read Revelation 5, you find they are two pictures of heaven. They are both pictures of heaven and the glory that is surrounding the throne of God. And in Revelation 4, we have the glory that is surrounding the throne of God without the Lamb. And it's glorious, but the Lamb isn't there, and and we recognize that as we look at chapter chapter 5. Chapter 4, he's describing it, he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and someone was sitting on the throne. 
And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. Uh, and picture, picture flame caught in stone. That, that's, what, that's, that's what that is to be a picture of. You have yellow and orange kind of mingled. It's a picture of flame, only it's in stone. It's not, not uh, burning, but, but it's, it's like burning. Uh, in appearance. Uh, and, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. So we have a rainbow, except it's not a rainbow because it's green. Because <laughs> an emerald is green. And we have this picture, and it goes on. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle." And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory, honor, thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed, and they were created. And we have this wonderful, powerful picture of God's glory in heaven. But I want to tell you something. Then you go to chapter 5, and the glory becomes more glorious as people are added to the picture. It becomes better. Uh, and you go, how can that be? How can heaven be? How can we make heaven better? Well, read chapter 5. Uh, because the lamb appears. First of all, the lamb appears. And the lamb must appear before we can be there. Right? The lamb appears. Who is worthy? No one is worthy to take the scroll and open the scroll. And then I see a lamb standing as if slain. They say, they say look for the lion of Judah. And I turn and there's a lamb. <laughs> right? Uh, Verse 5 of chapter 5, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to be able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if, it had, as if slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. So I'm told, look for the lamb, and I turn, or look for the lion. I turn to see the lion, and there's a lamb that was slain. Right, uh, And he says, he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who had the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break the seals, for you were slaughtered, and you purchased people with, for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them into a kingdom of and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the sound, voices of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying, worthy, with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, 
honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on earth or under the earth or on the sea and all things in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, the dominion uh, forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. And chapter 5 is more glorious than chapter 4. And you go, how did that happen? How was heaven made more glorious? And the answer is that man was added to the picture. And, 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 and how can we make heaven more glorious? By praising and worshiping God the Father. When we are put in fellowship with God the Father, with God the Son, we make, he, he created us for fellowship. He created us to fellowship with him, which by extension means he wants to fellowship with us. And, and, and that is astounding to think about. Why in the world does God want to meet with me? You know, important people don't look me up. I, I don't understand that. Why don't they look me up? The, the answer is they don't. Heaven is glorious without us. It's more glorious with us. God created us to have fellowship with him. And if he created us to have fellowship with him, it's because he wants to have fellowship with us. And so like I say, verse John chapter 1, I find is the clearest picture of his, his creating us for fellowship. But I look at Revelation 4 and 5, and I say it's a more powerful picture. And the irony we find as we look at the events leading to the cross is that God who created us for fellowship had to become utterly alone. The God who had never been alone God has always been existing in a trinity. They had, God, was, God always had the fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he had to give that up for us. And so we find Jesus alone in the garden. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, 6 to 11 is the Palm Sunday Parade. And this is the picture we all have. This is the story the kids get in Sunday school today, right? When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent the two disciples telling them, go to the village and get a donkey. So they go through the whole donkey thing. Verse 6, the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their cloaks on them. And he sat on the cloaks... Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And now a crowd's going, the crowd's going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Right? The Palm Sunday Parade. Would not it have been fun? Would it have been fun to be one of the disciples at that parade? You've been following Jesus for three years. You've been poor. You've been hungry. You've been cold. You've been camping out, right? Living, sleeping on rocks and dirt and, and, and wrapped with your robe, if you have that, or you know, whatever else you have. Uh, traveling all the time, doing different things. You've been following him for three years. Just, you're, you're the ones who call him the Messiah. You're the ones who know he's the one. You've seen all his miracles. You've seen all the recognition he should get, and you see how much he doesn't get. And today, you're with him, and the people are praising him. Right? Now, Jesus, I suspect he wasn't hugely moved by this because <laughs> he knew where he was going. But the disciples, would it have not, would it, how do you, they had to be on top of the world seeing this. 
They had to be on top of the world seeing him receive that honor. The, the rush, the crowds, Jesus being recognized and praised, these guys had to feel powerful joy. This was the experience of a lifetime. And then, and then from there, Jesus goes and clears out the temple, right? And Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all those who were selling and buying on the temple grounds. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And he, Jesus was unstoppable at that moment. At that time, uh, he was absolutely unstoppable. Stoppable. Uh, he, he goes into this place and it was chaotic, right? He, it's chaotic because they're buying and selling in the temple. And, and they're, so, what are they buying and selling? Well, they're buying and selling doves, they're buying and selling lambs, they're buying and selling money because the offering had to be made in Jerusalem money. And these people came from all over the world. Jews from, were, were, there were Jews in, in Greece, there were Jews in Rome, there were Jews in, in Syria, there were Jews in, in uh, Persia, there were Jews in Ethiopia, there were Jews in Egypt, there were Jews in Libya, right? They came from all these areas, they came together, and, and they were bringing, you know, their money. <laughs> and so wh where do you go to trade the money? Well, they can do it right at the temple, and they're going right to the temple. And so there's these guys out there, and so there's six different guys selling, doing money changing, and there's six different guys selling lambs, and there's six different guys selling doves, and they're all competing with each other for your business, and then you come over and you start negotiating, which means haggling, <laughs> right? And trying to find the best deal. And, and, and all this is going on in the temple. And it's chaos. It's loud. It's noisy. That's why Jesus didn't like it so much. So he goes in. He starts throwing tables around. Everybody, and, and so you can just imagine that, that chaos that was already there becoming all that much more chaotic as someone says, ah, money, <laughs> you know, and you dive. They say the most distinctive sound is the sound of a coin hitting the pavement. <laughs> and and you, you hear that, and people start diving, and people start looking, and somebody's being honest, and somebody's not, right? And, and then he starts setting loose the, the, the lambs, and then he starts setting loose the, the doves, and these people are running around, and they're trying to stop, and they're trying to get their stuff, and, and then... Everybody says, might as well get out of here. We're not doing business today. And then it's quiet for a moment because all the chaos has left. The buyers and sellers have left. The chaos has left. Except then it becomes chaotic again. And those who were blind and those who limped or who were lame came to him in the temple area and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple area saying, Ho, ho, no, that was the song we were doing. Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> right? uh, it's a Palm Sunday song, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the children are doing this in the temple. They're loud, they're making noise, they're not sounding very religious as they do it, right? They're not going, Amen. <laughs> which there's nothing wrong with that but that's not what they were doing right and the and the pharisees didn't like that right uh they came in so that the blind are coming the lame are coming the children are singing hosanna to the son of david they became the priests became indignant they said to him do you hear what these children are saying and jesus said to them have you never read from the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise for yourself and so it became chaotic again. But it was a very different kind of chaos, wasn't it? This was a chaos of praise. right? And so, so you come in and you're, you're blind and someone helps you get there and Jesus heals your blindness. 
Are you leaving as fast as you can? What are you doing? You're staying and you're praising. And you're using those new eyes to watch. And someone comes limping in. And now he's made well. Does he run off as fast as he can? Or does he use those new legs to stand and to watch? And does he not add to the praise? And, and as this goes on, as this is growing, and the kids are seeing this, right? And, and it's, it's funny. Where's mom and dad? Because <laughs> the children are singing. We don't hear about the other people singing. And I'm, the, I'm the thinking maybe they got thrown off by the temple cleaning and said, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this. Uh, you know, it's like I, I'm not involved. <laughs> mom and dad were protecting themselves. Kids had no idea. I, mean, I don't know that's why mom and dad weren't there, but the kids are the only ones named. And, and they're praising God for all this. The, the kids are praising God. The newly seeing people are praising God. The newly not lame people are praising God. Everybody's praising God. It's, it's, a, it's still chaotic, but it's a whole different kind of chaos. And for some reason, the priests and the scribes who did not object to the first chaos <laughs> object to this one. Wow. There's something wrong with that, right? They, they, they have a problem with that. But that's the Palm Sunday story, right? Uh, It's the Palm Sunday story. Jesus is praised by the crowds on Sunday. And we don't even find those blind and those lame on the following, well, following Saturday or Friday, let alone the following Sunday. I assume they joined in eventually. But that's the Palm Sunday story. All the praise going on, Jesus is praised by the crowds on Sunday. But by the time we get to Thursday, he's alone in the garden, all alone. And it's, it's interesting that on the, on the Thursday when he goes to the garden, he goes to the garden and not to Bethany, the town of Bethany. Because it, let's go, saying still in chapter 21 of Matthew, we went as far as verse 16, and I didn't read verse 17. I stopped before that. Because verse 17 says, And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany and spent the night there. And Bethany was three to five miles away. We don't know for sure. It's a suburb now, (laughs) if it's even a suburb. You know, the city of Jerusalem has grown dramatically since that time. We can find, we know where things, some things are and other things have been absorbed. But he went there the night after Palm Sunday. He went to the town of Bethany. If we jump ahead to chapter 26, Uh, verses, verse 6. This is the night when Jesus' feet were anointed with oil. And Judas was so bothered by that. And the disciples say, this money could have been sold and helped the poor, right? It says, now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very expensive perfume. So he's back in Bethany again. He, was in Bethany. he went to Bethany in chapter 21. Uh, don't know exactly. Well, I shouldn't say we don't know exactly because we do. Uh, that, uh, because Mark tells us in chapter 14. Uh, I'll just read it real quick. Don't feel like you need to turn there unless you want to. But Mark 14 telling the same story gives us a little bit of a time reference. If I can do it without jumping into Luke. Mark 14, uh, verses 1 to 3. He says, Now the Passover and festival unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief 
priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him covertly saying kill and kill him and they were saying now during the festival otherwise there will be a riot of the people while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper he was reclining at a table so we have the Passover is two days away so, so he's, he's been apparently going back to Bethany the city of Bethany every night uh, and, but on this night he doesn't go after the Passover he doesn't go to the city of Bethany he goes out to the garden. So up to two evenings before the Last Supper, they were still going to the town of Bethany. Uh, and, and this may have been their first evening of just going to the garden. And actually, that makes a lot of sense. I've, I've never, you know, there's a lot of things. I'm, a, I'm doing a con- consist, continual learning process as I do this. Every year, I sit, there, I sit here and I tell you guys things that I just finally figured out. And every year, I have more things to say that I just finally figured out. And I wonder, how many times am I contradicting what I said before? <laughs> Because I think I've been had the picture that they were going out to Beth or to the garden every night. It was their regular place. But, but this may have been their first night of going out to the garden. And it makes sense because this was the night they spent the Passover in Jerusalem. Now, two nights before, they were at a party in Bethany. And, and Jesus' feet were anointed, right? Uh, and now uh, they're, they're having the Passover, not where they had the party. You know, they're not at the house of Simon the leper. They're at the house, this, this house that became, becomes known as the upper room. Right? They are at this place, and, and it's a place that Jesus had gotten. You know, so he, he sent the disciples ahead to say, find out, you meet a guy, ask him uh, if the place is ready. And he says, yeah, and they have the upper room, and that's where they spend the Passover. And because they weren't going to Bethany, they weren't having the Passover at Bethany. He wanted to have his special time just with the disciples. There weren't other people invited to that meal, it appears, uh, and, and so, so they're having that special meal that we call the Last Supper, that they called Passover, right? Uh, and, and so it was a different situation that night. It may have been their first evening. It allowed them to have their special Passover and Last Supper, and it could have, and it also could have made it just much more convenient for Jesus to be arrested, because they came with a large crowd, but they didn't want to have a lot of witnesses. So Jesus said, fine, I know just the place where you can come arrest me. And he went, took the, met the disciples, or took the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and uh, at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and, and they, they went there. It's interesting that Jesus made it more convenient for those arresting him, because in Bethany there had been a lot of witnesses. And he became as alone as he could get. Chapter 26 still, starting at verse 36. I'm going to read verses 36 through 39. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he's got 11 disciples with him, right? He tells them, sit here while I go over there and pray. But then he grabs Peter, James, and John. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And then he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed. So he, 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 went, he went to Gethsemane. He took all, all 11 of them with him. Judas is gone. And he says, Stay here. And he brings Peter, James, and John along with him. And he says, Stay here. And then he goes on again to where he is completely alone. So first he leaves all but his inner circle, and then he leaves even his inner circle 
and he goes on beyond them. And it's the Gospel of Luke who tells us that Jesus sweat drops of blood. And Luke does tell us that an angel came and ministered to him, which is, I think, very informative to us because Jesus became as absolutely alone as he possibly could be. And you know, there's that verse, and I, I, I refer to it a lot, and those of the, who were in the Bible study a few weeks ago, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that I'm going to say in probably three different versions and drive Bethany nuts. For no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a means of escape so that you may stand up under it. How many did I? Only two? Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can stand. Jesus' temptation was so strong he needed help. Okay. He was alone, and it was too much, so God sent an angel. I mean, if, if there's another explanation for that angel, I, I don't know what it is. That's the one that makes sense to me, that Jesus needed help. His temptation was that severe. And, 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 you know, if you're not careful, we, we, we say Jesus was God, therefore the temptations didn't really mean anything. Not true. He sweat drops of blood. You look up sweating drops of blood and you find some technical word for hemo something or another. You know, hemo, long word, <laughs> blood something. And it, it, it's described as a, an experience that, that has been known outside of Jesus, but it only happens during intense emotional distress. And Jesus sweat drops of blood to the point that an angel had to come help him. But I don't think that changes the fact that Jesus was as alone as he could possibly be. And then, you know, he left the 11 here, or left eight of the 11 here, and three of the 11 here, and he told them, keep watch. And then he went and prayed, and then he came back, right? Verse 38, he says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. So he brought the three along, but they could not stay there with him, even at the distance. They, they fell asleep. He said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. <laughs> and that's a little bit of a dig. <laughs> Peter, you'll do anything for me, remember? He said that about three hours ago. Keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he says, keep watching. He's, first he told them to watch. He came back, found them, failed at that. He tells them watch. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father, if the cup cannot pass from me away again, pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. So they failed him again. And then verse 44, and he left them again and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same thing once more. And he, when he came back to the disciples, he said to them, are you still sleeping? So he is as alone as you could possibly be. I mean, he, he brought people at least to stay at a distance and support him, and they're not doing it. He is, he is alone. Keep watch. You could not keep watch. Keep watch. Found them sleeping. A third time he found them sleeping. 
And in the end, when he's arrested, he's arrested all alone. We have to give Peter credit. Peter tried to fight. You know, good job, Peter. I guess. <laughs> I, I say good job, Peter, I guess because I'm a guy, right? Guys, you with me on that? <laughs> Ladies, maybe not so much. Peter, you dummy. <laughs> Typical, you know, you're, you're, I know what you're thinking, men. <laughs> and then James and Peter followed from a distance. John chapter 18, just, to, just in case, you know, because sometimes we miss this. There's, there's a lot of details that we miss because um, we don't read the Gospels together very easily. John chapter 18, verse 15, uh, after Jesus has been arrested, he's being hauled off, uh, Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered with Jesus from the courtyard of the high place, but Peter was standing at the door outside. The other disciple gets in. Anytime John talks about a disciple, he doesn't name it. We just assume it's John. And, John and, and John's the one disciple we find at the cross, because Jesus says to John, behold your mother, and to Mary, behold your son. And so John is there at the cross. And John and Peter did follow at a, at a distance. But in Matthew 26, verse 56, all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So they followed at a distance, but they left him alone. They fled. And Jesus was all alone. And this time... You know, I talked about how he was alone in a crowd. This time he is alone in a hostile crowd. And in chapter 27, verse 46, we read, And about the ninth hour, means three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was utterly, completely alone. The God who created us for fellowship was alone and suffering, abandoned, said forsaken. And God had to turn his back on Jesus because Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of, God, of righteousness of God in him. And Jesus became sin, and God turned his back on him. And Jesus was forsaken and alone. And I want to turn real quickly to our scripture reading, Isaiah chapter 59, verses 16. It's shocking I'm going to Isaiah, huh? Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16. And he saw that there was no one, and was amazed that there was not one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. Start at verse 14. This is, I think, where our scripture reading, 15, second half of 15. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no one, and amazed that there was not one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself as a cloak. 
According to their deeds, he will repay wrath to his adversaries, retribution to the enemies. We see the, the punishment of sin. In the coastlands, he will deal retribution, so they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. A redeemer will come from to Zion and to those in Jacob who turn from wrongdoing, declares the Lord. So the redeemer comes. He has to do it himself. He says, he, says, uh, he was astonished there was no one to intercede. You look and say, don't you think someone would do something? We read stories in the news of where, you know, something horrible happens and there's people around and nobody stops, steps in to stop that thing from happening. And you go, how could nobody do anything? Did, 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 why did nobody step up? How come nobody said stop? How come nobody called the police? How come nobody yelled? How come, but, and nobody did. And you go, it's astonishing. How could nobody do that? He looked at the situation that mankind is in. He says, he was astonished. So he took it on himself. The entire human race is at stake. How can you do this? Somebody has to do something. What about Isaiah? Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Isaiah couldn't do this. You know, there was no one who could, and there was no one who would. I think the astonishment was more about willingness than ability, because nobody had the ability Nobody could do that, but nobody would either. It's like, uh, I don't have it in me. You know, it's like, I, 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 I sometimes like to think I'm tough. I think I can put up a little punishment. I, I have a high pain tolerance. But I look at that and say, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's not in me. I, I, I don't care how well-intentioned I am. It is not within me to do that. I, I cannot. I will not try. And his own arm brought salvation. He had the righteousness to do it. He brought salvation, and a redeemer came to Zion. No one else could, and no one else would. He had to do it alone. No one could help him. And that's why it was Jesus alone. And, and, and the aloneness we find at the cross, by the way, proves that Jesus alone can save. Only Jesus can do this. No one else did what Jesus did. Nobody could do it. Nobody would do it. Jesus alone saved us, and only Jesus alone can save us. We're a week before Easter. Next week's the resurrection. Anybody going to be surprised by that? That's my theme, getting over the surprise <laughs> for, 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 for Easter. I, haven't, I don't know how I'm going to flesh that out, but I, that's, you know, I have an idea. That's where we're going, getting over the surprise. Uh, the resurrection only has meaning for those who recognize Jesus alone saves. The resurrection will have no meaning for anyone who does not recognize that truth. So I say this, and, and I know I say this to the same people over and over, but just in case you have not yet grabbed a handle on this, I want to say it one more time. You need to trust Jesus alone. And when I say Jesus alone, the greatest impediment to trusting Jesus alone is the person who's doing the trusting. Because you so much want to trust yourself. And to trust Jesus alone, you have to set yourself aside and say, I don't trust me. I know I'm not good enough. I know I cannot make it to heaven. I know I did not pay the price and cannot pay the price. I know that God looking at just me will not say I'm satisfied. 
And you have to get yourself out of the way so that Jesus can be your Savior. It's not Jesus and me that saves me. It's Jesus who saves me. And I get to go along for the ride. Okay? If, if I say this because Jesus and is the curse of Christianity in America. And it's not Jesus and, it's Jesus alone. If by any chance you are <laughs> half trusting in Jesus and have not truly placed your faith in him, I want to encourage you to do so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you did what you did. And Lord, as, as, as horrible as it sounds, I thank you that you did it alone. You knew what you were doing when you paid that price. You did it for me. Jesus, I accept that gift, and I trust only you, knowing I am not earning my way into heaven. You did that for me. I ask you, and I trust you, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.